In the summer of 2000, there was an up-and-coming NFL superstar in the making. Fred Lane founded his home in a pool of blood with two gunshot wounds. This life was cut short, and we want to know what exactly happened in the murder of Fred Lane Jr. And that story's coming up in just a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Gridiron Nightmare, unraveling the mystery of Fred Lane's death. Now, Fred Lane was a very uh, upcoming and talented running back that played with the Carolina Panthers. And we're going to tell his story of how this 24-year-old was found you know, in his home soaked with blood with two gunshot wounds. A very promising career, uh, to say the least. So let's start off talking about Fred and his early beginnings in football, and his football career. This man had talent galore. But before we get to that, let's make sure you're aware of our newsletter. You can be updated on everything that's going on in the pig pen. That's the YouTube channel, the podcast, all our stories that are coming out on pigskindispatch.com, jerseydispatch.com, Orville Mulligan Sports Writer, and many items coming from the Sports History Network. Really easy to sign up for. Go to the show notes of this very podcast or YouTube episode, or go to the top of pigskindispatch.com and claim your email subscription. Every day you'll get a daily newsletter that'll talk about uh, the events that are coming up at 6.30 a.m. Eastern, And it's only from pigskindispatch.com. Let's start off with Fred's father, Fred Lane Sr. He was a gridiron star at Natchez High School in Franklin, Tennessee, which is just a little bit south of Nashville. Now, Fred Sr. passed down some of his remarkable football genes and ability and knowledge to his son, Fred Jr., who became a rare talent at the same school, which was renamed to Franklin High by the time that Fred Jr. had attended them. Now, Lane Jr. possessed uncommon speed and agility uh, for such a young player. At Franklin High, Jr. amassed over 1,000 yards in his senior season, averaging seven and a half yards per carry, pretty good click for a high school player. Now, his impact was so impressive that the school retired his number 28 jersey in honor of this athletic brilliance of this young man So number 28, hanging in the rafters at Franklin High, football jersey with Fred Lane Jr.'s name in honor of it. And remembrance now. Now, this skill set was unnoticed by most college recruiters, but one college in particular came about and appropriately, uh, that college was named Lane College. No connection, and it was in Jackson, Tennessee. Now, the institution is a private, historically black college associated with the Christian Methodist Episcopal Church. The school was established in 1878 
to provide education for the newly freed enslaved and named for one of its co-founders, Methodist Bishop Isaac Lane. Now, besides Fred, former NFL player Jacoby Jones also played football for the Lane College Dragons. Fred rushed for 3,612 yards in his career at the school, and he set multiple school rushing records, including running for 305 yards in one game against Miles College in the 1995 contest. The athlete's success peaked in his junior year when Fred was placed on the Harlan Hill Trophy watch list as one of the D2's top players in the game. He didn't win it that year, but he was real close. That same year, Lane was named to the Heritage Radio HBCU All-American team and several other media services All-American teams. Fred Lane Jr.'s number six jersey was also retired at Lane College. So the six is hanging up on the wall, the athletic offices and the stadium at Lane College. 28 at Franklin High. This guy is an amazing back. He's making a difference to his teams. And he's in, you know, some Division II. He's at a small high school, but uh, still going pretty much unnoticed. So, But his career was not over yet. Lane ended up being signed as an undrafted free agent by the Carolina Panthers before the 1997 NFL season. The Panthers brass recognized the untapped talent of this youngster and wanted to explore its effectiveness in the National Football League. So they gave him an opportunity. His hard work showed at practice, showed in the preseason. And Fred had very interestingly a successful debut during his rookie season as he got some playing time and set several rookie franchise records, uh, which you can look up on profootballreference.com. Now, after three years with the Panthers, Lane was traded to the Indianapolis Colts on April 21st, 2000. Remember that date? For the Panthers, and he had accumulated 2,001 rushing yards, the most in franchise history in the first three years, or any period of time for a runner at that time in the Panthers uniform. And he had 13 touchdowns scored for Carolina in the NFL. Unfortunately, Fred would never play a meaningful down for the Colts. Wouldn't even play a preseason down. On July 6, 2000, just a few months after the trade, the promising life of the 24-year-old Fred Lane Jr. was cut short in Mecklenburg County, North Carolina. And we'll have more about that in just a moment. Fred had been out of town. That's... Uh, there's some differing reports on there. We'll get into that just a little bit later, what we think is the most probable location. But remember, he was just traded to the Colts. So there's some NFL ties to a city that's not in Mecklenburg County, North Carolina. As a matter of fact, it's in Indiana, in Indianapolis. But besides that, he just returned home from, from a long period being out of town. And Lane went to his front door, placed the keys of the home into the lock, unlocked it, and when he opened the door, he faced one of the most frightful sights imaginable. Uh, the business end of a loaded shotgun with a willing shooter poised with a finger on the trigger. Mecklenburg County Assistant District Attorney Marcia Goodnow described the scene as one where the athlete had no time to react, no time to tussle with the attacker. 
It was open the door, see the gun, bang. The sound of a gunshot rang out through the formerly quiet neighborhood. The discharge of the weapon found its mark in Lane's chest from a reported five to eight feet away, according to court records. But Fred survived this initial melee, unbelievably. He was wounded though, and scrambling for an escape route, crawling through his own blood on the front stoop of his own home. Seconds later, his life ended with a second and fatal deadly blast to the head from the same firearm and the same attacker. Now, we can go through and make some summations. It's a gunman inside the house, a family member. Well, it was a family member. The assailant was his wife, Deidre Lane. And Lane, Mrs. Lane, had a motive to do so. It was a $5 million insurance policy that was the MO on, on this. Now, the couple's financial advisor had recently joked in an inferior taste and very tasteless that it would be a good windfall for a financially cash-strapped couple. Now, how could you be cash-strapped being an NFL player? Fred had recently been paid almost $600,000 for his season with the Carolina Panthers in 1999. But, alas, the, the family was said to be cash-poor uh, along with his spouse, Deidre. The same financial advisor, Rodney Harris, sold the couple a mutual aiding policy in the event of either of their deaths. The, the couple could enjoy a nice lifestyle. If Fred would die of you know causes of normal covered under insurance, Deidre would earn the $5 million. If Deidre would die at the, unexpectedly or expect you know somehow without being murderous, um, Fred would enjoy the $5 million. So their lifestyle would continue but they're having trouble with uh, spending under $600,000 a year uh, that was made in 1999. But Lane was said to be a, a typical immature early 20-something. Uh, he took that $600,000 and uh, kind of spent a lavish lifestyle, including he was a bit of a partier and even dealt with some illegal substances. He had been previously charged with drug possession, a little bit of marijuana when it's not supposed to be taken. And according to surviving family members, Fred was on the mend. He was putting that former lifestyle of partying and ill spending behind him. And possibly some indication of that was seeking financial advice from a professional. Him and his wife were trying to get their financial house in order and probably their lives in order as well, at least that's what the family of Fred Lane Jr. stated in court documents. Now, Harris testified later in court in June, just a few weeks before the murder, Deidre had contacted the insurance broker and asked the insurance provider if she could be paid as a result of Fred dying in a drunk driving accident. Uh, the worried spouse, uh, or allegedly worried spouse, said she was worried about Fred's drinking problem, that he was an alcoholic and was worried about him dying drunk and wanted to make sure that everything would be all right if something happened like that. Maybe there was an ulterior motive to that. Harris responded to Deidre saying, yes, it would be paid out. 
but he also told her, according to his own testimony, uh, that the if you kill Fred, this insurance poly, policy will not pay you, end quote. Uh, the murder trial of Deidre was in November 2003, and testimonies from witnesses on both sides portrayed both parties as aggressors in a very abusive relationship. NFL wide receiver Musha Muhammad even testified on Fred's the prosecuting side, uh, stating that he had witnessed deep scratches on his former Panthers teammate done by Deidre's hand. The Lanes recently greeted the arrival of a baby girl just weeks before the shooting, and Fred's family claimed that when Fred held his newborn daughter just a week before his death, he made a statement that the baby did not look like him. Maybe there's a little bit of a an eye-opener, uh, a raised eyebrow, uh, curiosity's sake there. Maybe a motive for murder there as well. Now, Fred was even said to be in the process of filing for divorce and executing the cutoff of financial ties with Deidre. Now, Fred was returning home, allegedly, to sell a motorcycle that he had at the home and uh, not with, with reconciling with his wife for the deceased family uh, of Fred Lane Jr. He had been living with family members out of town. And that might be possibly why he was out of town and returning to the home in Mecklenburg County, North Carolina. Uh, the wife upset, uh, you know, could have pulled that action. But in retort, Deidre's mother claimed that Deidre's face was swollen from alleged, an alleged beating that day. But these swollenness of the cheeks and the beating and any signs of beating were not mentioned by police reports or documented by photos that the authorities had taken uh, right at the murder scene. Mrs. Lane had not fled the murder scene at all. In fact, she was the one that called 911, stayed at the scene, and gave testimony to the cops uh, as part of the investigation of the murder uh, at that scene time. And eventually she she was sort of singing a different story that it was sort of a self-defense type shot, but her story didn't match up to what the forensics showed and where Fred was shot in the location and the distance. And it was sort of premeditated, if you will. But she did not get with uh, premeditated murder. She ended up, had a guilty plea and conviction of voluntary manslaughter, which would serve as an eight-year sentence. And that's what she got minus the time she previously served. And that came down in November of 2003. So I don't have a confirmation of this, but I would believe that uh, Deidre is walking the streets uh, to this day. Uh, it's been you know more than 20-some years since the murder and the trial. And... So that uh, sentence has been served and hopefully she has been reformed and is uh, doing much better uh, from what had happened from the earlier times. So that's our story today and our murder, our Hail Mary to homicide and remembering a promising young player of the high school, college and professional level of football in our sport. And we hate to talk about uh, you know these tragic scenes but they're a part of the game and a part of the story and the fabric of football. 
and ones that we must told, told to help us remember what's happened. So maybe possibly they don't get repeated again. And we, uh, we hope this doesn't happen to a youngster that's, uh, or any age person that's uh, you know, going through these times of turmoil. I mean, if you know of somebody like that, you know, there's plenty of domestic violence uh, places that can aid you if you reach out, including your local police department and many other fine uh, things in your area, I'm sure. Uh, look for those uh, on the internet or call your local police department or your local uh, clergyman. Maybe they can help you in this matter before something tragic happens. So till next time, everybody, have a great gridiron day. That's all the football history we have today, folks. Join us back tomorrow for more of your football history. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleat Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com.